Over the last few months, we've been studying through Colossians and the book of Colossians and how Colossians is really split up into two different halves, one about being deeply rooted in Christ and what does it mean to be in Christ. And, and that phrase, in Christ, is used over and over and over again, almost like he's trying to make a point. And, and so he wants us to be living in Christ, but that's to affect everything we do to be radically changed. This morning we're going to shift gears and we're going to move to the book of Philemon because Philemon is a corresponding book. It was written at the same time as Colossians and it's sort of the practical side to Colossians. The side that says, okay, you've heard what I've taught. Now let's see if you can put it into practice. Let's see if the gospel really affects real life. Does it really change how we act? How many of you have ever been offended by somebody? Everyone's like, I don't know whether I should answer that. (laughs) I would bet all of us at some point have been offended by somebody and deeply offended. And as we come to Philemon, we come to the, the idea of how do we deal within the body when we are deeply offended, when we are deeply hurt? A situation that Satan would love to jump on, pounce on, and use to divide the body and stop us from doing God's work. Story of Corey Tin Boom. If you know, if you know who she was, she was a Christian that came alongside during World War II to the Jews and hid Jews and helped Jews try to stay out of the concentration camps. And she and her sister ended up in one of those camps and in prison. And she was stuck for many years in a concentration camp, subject to humiliation, to degradation. Especially true of different things. They, they would have to go in the showers and de-louse and the guards would just taunt and leer and so many hurtful things that were hard to get over. She described it as a living hell. And as she dealt with this and, and moved on to be a speaker and after the war was over, she said that she had by grace, by grace forgiven those fiends who guarded the shower stalls. She had forgiven them. And she was preaching one day on forgiveness, and and she's preaching in Munich. And after the sermon, she's greeting people, and she sees a man coming toward her. man stretches out his hand. says, Jean I can't do the accent, sorry. It's wonderful that Jesus forgives all of our sins, just as you say. She looked at him, and she remembered his face. He was one of those guards. The leering, lecherous, taunting, mocking guard. Her hand froze at her side. She could not forgive. And at that moment, it became, is my faith something in my head, or is my faith something that I'm going to put into practice? She thought she had forgiven all, but she couldn't forgive when she met this guard, when he was standing right in front of her, And ashamed and horrified at her her own failure to forgive, she prayed right there in her head, Lord, forgive me. I can't forgive him. And as she prayed, she felt forgiven. And it was like her arm just lifted up and she was able to take his hand because the forgiver of all had forgiven her. And the ice of hate melted and she was able to forgive. And I start with that story because we, we look at what happened to Corey Tin Boom and we think those are awful things. 
Those are things that I don't think anyone should ever have to forgive. We might think that in our heads. But as she was standing there and a brother in Christ who had accepted Christ and come to know Christ came to her, she was faced with, do I honor the forgiveness of our Lord and Savior? And do I reconcile and do I forgive? Or do I hold on to the things that separate people? The barriers that can separate us in this very room. See, Satan would love to take issues that happen between us in the church body and say, I'm going to help you remember those. I'm going to help you keep score. I'm going to help you remember the hate and the hurt and the frustration you have because then I know where your focus won't be. We had a relative one time that had a little black book. And in that little black book was a list of every offense any family member had done to him. And you just hated it when you said something and out came the little black book. Oh man, I didn't say that right. <laughs> and, and he would remind people in the family of that. And we, Susie and I watched as that consumed him and, and tore his soul apart in bitterness and in grief. So this morning as we come to Philemon, we come to a situation like that. A situation where there is a potential to tear the church across. There is an offense that has happened and a justified legal response to that offense would have been the death penalty. And and Philemon is this short little book. It's 25 verses, one of the shortest books we have in the New Testament. I like to call it a postcard instead of a letter. It's just a short little thing that's one of the only postcards we have from Paul that's written to an individual about a certain situation And so it's a personal letter. I think to understand Philemon, we have to understand a little bit of what's going on in the story. It's it's a little like jumping into a movie an hour in and trying to figure out who all the characters are and what's going on. And and we just are, are, are brought into the story with Paul's letter of response. And we're like, okay, what's going on here? And so this morning I want to start with the story behind the letter. What's going on to help us understand as we study Philemon this week and next week? We, we have to go back actually several years from when Colossians and Philemon were written to a time when Paul was ministering probably in Ephesus, about 100 miles away from, from Colossae. And as he's ministering in Ephesus, we know that he met Epaphras, and Epaphras accepted Christ and ended up going back and helping start the church at, at Colossae. But he also met another individual named Philemon. And as Philemon heard Paul's teaching, Philemon came to know the Lord, came to a saving faith in Christ, and Paul is able to mentor him, and then goes back to Colossae, and we know from the text this morning that he actually opens his house. He's a wealthy man, a well-to-do man, opens his house, and the church is meeting in his home. Story's all great at this point. What then happens is is Philemon, as a well-to-do man, had a number of bondservants or slaves in his household. And and some have have come to this passage and said, well, okay, what does this really say about bondservants and slavery? And we have to understand slavery was was a little different at the time, but also Paul's approach and Jesus' approach to dealing with it was one of dealing with the core problem, not the government institution. And in slavery at the time, there were a number of different ways you could enter into slavery. One, if you were born to a slave, you automatically entered into slavery. Um, Punishment for a crime could enter you into slavery. 
you're kidnapped from another land or conquered in another land, unfortunately, parents would sometimes sell their children into slavery to pay for a debt. Or if you as an individual found that you couldn't pay a debt, you could sell yourself into slavery. So all of these things were, were part of slavery at the time. And, but there was always a way out. And under Roman law, people would stay in slavery anywhere from 7 to 20 years. And, and then they could pay their debt and they'd be freed. But while they were slaves, and and many of them were slaves, it's estimated that in the Roman Empire, maybe a third of the people were were slaves, were bond servants. While you were were a slave, it it really was a roll of the dice how you were treated. Some slaves were were terribly treated. Slaves were were often considered property. And, And so they could be beat, they could be traded, they could be sold, they could be punished, they could be branded the master could really do whatever he wanted. But the other side of that is, is many masters treated their slaves with honor and respect and took care of them and gave them a a great place to live and took care of their needs. And so it's interesting that at at the end of your time of slavery, you could become a bond servant. You could voluntarily stay in service on this job. And many of the slaves thought that was better than becoming a free man. Because if you were a poor freeman and didn't have any means to support yourself, life was actually harder than if you were with a good family that you were working for. And so we have all these different aspects of slavery and where Jesus went with it and where Paul goes with it even here is rather than saying the whole institution is evil, he gets to the heart of it and says, let's change the foundational relationship. Let's have masters, and we studied this a few weeks ago in Colossians, treat the slaves as brothers or the bondservants as brothers. Let's let's bring them to equality within the church and within their relationships. And when we start treating each other in that way, then the institution completely changes. And so it was this subversive, almost subversive change from the bottom up of what slavery was even about. But Philemon, back to our story, Philemon had a number of slaves, or at least one, but probably a number of slaves, and one of them was named Onesimus. Onesimus was not a believer at this time, and Onesimus, in the process of doing his duties, looked for an opportunity, saw an opportunity to to just get out of there, to run away, but he also saw the opportunity at the same time to take a bunch of Philemon's money, to steal from the household, And so he finds the right time, steals a bunch of the money and belongings from Philemon, and he's out of there. And he goes to Rome, probably about a thousand miles away. Some have said, well, why would he go that far? Ephesus was so much closer. i got to tell you, if I was running away, I'm going as far away to the greatest metropolitan area as I can to blend in. And so Rome, which is where Paul is in prison at this time, is where Philemon or Onesimus went. It's not like when your kids ran away and you found them in the bushes out front, maybe in the neighbor's bushes. He was out of there. This is a man that was not a believer, that was unregenerate, that was determined to go his own way. But God. But God got a hold of him. And through a series of events, he goes to Rome. And Paul at this point is under house arrest in Rome, tied to a guard or shackled to a guard, but people could come and go out of his house. 
And somehow, we don't quite know how, somehow Onesimus comes into contact with Paul. And the thing about Paul is you don't come in contact with him without hearing the gospel. The man just would share the gospel every moment he could. What an example for us. And Onesimus becomes a believer in Rome. And, and accepts Christ, puts his faith in Jesus Christ. And now Paul is mentoring Onesimus. Onesimus is helping Paul out in Rome. And the story unfolds of what's happened here. And Paul finds out that he's a runaway slave from his friend Philemon in Colossae. And the penalty for that, like I said, could be death, it could be um, beatings, it could be really whatever the master wanted to do. And I can just picture the conversation one day, Onesimus is coming in and Paul and Onesimus are talking and Paul's teaching them and Paul says, you know, Onesimus, I think you need to go back. I think you need to go back. And picture what Onesimus is thinking, and die? Really? We're in Rome. We're a thousand miles away. This is great. And, and, and I can picture, and this is conjecture, but I can picture Paul unfolding the Scriptures and unfolding what it means to ask for forgiveness and to repent. And Onesimus eventually agrees to return to Philemon. And as he's returning, Paul already has another co-worker, Tychicus, that Pastor Andrew talked about last week, Tychicus is already going back to Colossae and he's taking the the letter of Colossians. And Paul says, why don't you go with Tychicus? And you know what? I'm going to write you a letter of commendation. A letter to a personal note to Philemon. Helping him, discipling him in how he should handle the situation. And that note is the letter of Philemon that we have. And so I can just picture with trembling hands Onesimus taking the letter and Tychicus and Onesimus starting off on the journey. And his heart, as he's going back to Colossae and the church that we just studied about, and he's going to go back to his his former master and risk everything for reconciliation. Risk everything assuming that Christ and the Gospel changes lives and that we're radically changed. In Colossians chapter 3, we read in verses 12 through 16, we talked about what kind of clothes to put on. And Paul wrote, and this is going to the church, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. And those words mean something a little different when we know some of the things going on in the church. Forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. And so Paul's written this command to forgive, to bear with one another, to accept one another, to love. And now he's sending Onesimus to Philemon to say, let's see if you can put it into practice. Let's see how it goes. C.S. Lewis said, "For everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. And that's the situation we find Philemon in. Turn with me to the book of Philemon. Little book, right between Titus and Hebrews. 
probably just a page or two in your Bible, 25 verses. But turn with me there, and, and today I want to do, do two things. I want to give us an overview of the letter, and we're going to read the whole letter. And then we'll break apart the greeting and say, what can we learn from how Paul starts his letter? See, when we come to a personal letter like this, it's always, we, we have several different ways of how we can approach it. We could read it and say, well, that's really interesting. And like a TV show, turn it off and the sitcom's done and yay, and, and go our way. But keep in mind, the Holy Spirit inspired this and directed this to be part of God's Word. This is more than just a nice little story that makes for a half-hour TV show. God intends us to learn from this personal letter. And there's two ways we can do that. And as we study it today and as we study it next week, we'll look at both of those ways. The first is, what is Paul instructing Philemon to do? What instruction is he given, giving about forgiveness and reconciliation? And we can learn from that. We can learn in the situations where we've been hurt, especially from a brother and sister in Christ, which is the context. But the second area that I want to look at as we study Philemon is what example is Paul setting for discipleship? Because Paul here is writing a letter to a son in the faith, and he's discipling him. He's instructing him without commanding him, and we'll study that a little bit more next week. So what example, especially as we as a church talk about discipleship and and reproduce and, and start discipling relationships, we can learn so much from how Paul does this. A sensitive, difficult situation that threatens to rend the church apart. And Paul masterfully uses love and tact, spiritual direction to disciple Philemon. Lightfoot in his commentary says, Philemon is is an expression of simple dignity, of refined courtesy, of large sympathy, and of warm personal affection. The epistle of Philemon stands unrivaled. So I'd like to to read through it. As we read through it, look for those things. What is Paul teaching Philemon about forgiveness and reconciliation and bringing people together? But also, what's the example Paul is setting? Pastor Andrew talked about this last week when he said, what does Paul say and what does Paul do? When we look at introductions and greetings to books, those are great questions to ask. Starting at verse 1. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Apphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, Though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent 
in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but, by, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? So if you consider me your partner, <laughs> receive him as you would receive me. No pressure there. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of you owing me your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, as so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Wonderful little postcard. But a challenging postcard to us as we deal with each other, as we deal with the normal aspects of living life together. We'd like to dig into the greeting, verses 1 through 7. We'll just look at some general principles out of this morning. And on the front page of your notes, I mentioned that we'll look at three principles to Philemon. And, and what Paul always does in his greetings is he, he masterfully weaves in the ideas and the principles that he wants to get across in the letter. Right? And so these greetings are not accidental, they're intentional. And so as we read verses 1 through 7, it's helpful to notice what is Paul pointing out about Philemon? Because everything he points out about Philemon is key to Philemon obeying and being able to forgive. Paul, Paul is, is bringing these things up, and, and you'll see them, I don't know if you heard them as we read through it, you see those same themes coming up later in the letter and becoming part of his argument. So the front page of your notes will look at the three, three foundational characteristics that will help us become a forgiving people, that will help us learn how to reconcile. And these are, are the, the stones on which the practical is, is based. If you build a house without a foundation, not good, right? Myron, you build houses. If we just forgot to put in a foundation, no concrete or anything, and just built it on dirt, house doesn't stand, right? Well, maybe for a little while. <laughs> but any wind, storm, any pressure, and it falls apart. And so as we, we study the greeting, we're going to see the foundation, the basics of forgiveness. The, the things that if we don't have these, we will not be able to be a forgiving people. And then on the back page of your notes, we'll look at three things that we learned from Paul's example of how we disciple each other. How would you go to somebody and help them forgive? How would you go to somebody that has been wronged and instruct them? And so we'll look at those two things. First page there, as we look at the foundational principles, the first one is ministry. Ministry. Be committed to serving Christ with your church family. Look at verses 1 and 2, and it's sort of like being a de detective and pulling things out. But Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus... And this is the only time that Paul actually uses this title at the beginning of one of his letters. Usually, what, is his, what are the titles that he gives? An apostle, 
most often an apostle because he's sharing his authority as an apostle and his, his authority to be able to write this letter. In this one, he says a prisoner for Christ Jesus. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in his example. But one of the things that, that he's stressing here is his service to Christ Jesus, that he is a servant of Christ. And Timothy, our brother, and again, focusing on the church family, as, as Pastor Andrew shared last week, we're in this together. We're serving together. We're ministering together. But then he goes on at the end of verse 1 to Philemon, and, and take note of how, the, how he is described, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, our loved and cherished fellow worker. And the very first thing that Paul chooses to commend Philemon about is his service. His heart of ministry for God. That that is a priority. That is what he's about. And he's reaffirming that we're, we're fighting together against the work of, of Satan and to, to reach a world for Christ. The ministry is the fight, not each other. Not each other. He goes on to, to talk about Aphia. And Aphia here, our sister, is probably Philemon's wife. We don't know that for sure, but, but all indications are this is a, a personal letter and he's mentioning people in the household of, of how they are to deal with Onesimus. And in their culture of the time, the, the wife in the household managed the servants. They would manage the day-to-day activities of the servant and so it would be very natural for Paul to, to talk to Philemon and Philemon's the primary recipient. He's the first one listed but then to also say, to, to mention some others in the house that are, are going to have to deal with Onesimus as well. Naphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier. If you remember, Archippus was mentioned last week in, in Colossians 4. Paul had told him to fulfill his ministry. A number of scholars think that Archippus was probably their son. Again, we don't know that for sure. That's a little bit of conjecture, but we do know he had some sort of leadership role in the church. And so Paul here brings that up again, our fellow soldier. So he's used words, a prisoner for Christ. I serve Christ. Philemon is a fellow worker. We are working together. Archippus is a fellow soldier. And then finally, the next phrase, in the church in your house. We see a picture of this family. A picture of a family that loves God, that is serving God, opening their home and their resources for the church. Beloved fellow workers. Churches often met in houses. In fact, they, they only met in houses until about the third century. And this house was Philemon's house. And there may have been several house churches in Colossae. We don't know, depending on the size of the city. But Paul here is highlighting the aspect of ministry of ministry. Be committed to serving Christ with your church family. And that's how he begins commending Philemon. And I intentionally didn't word it, just be committed to serving Christ. That should be our priority. That's our goal. And actually an unforgiving spirit and and issues between us prevent that, which is why Paul, I believe Paul is bringing it up. But he's using language that always is inclusive of the church body. Think about the letter we just read. Think about that it's written not only to Philemon and his family, but to the whole church that meets in their house. 
for us in our individual mindset, we're like, I can't believe he told someone else. But for Paul, this was an issue of the church family. Forgiveness and reconciliation is an issue that we help each other with, that affects the whole body. When you or I hold on to to issues between us, we are harming everybody in this room, not just ourselves. Because the body is a body. It is a family. And so Paul includes them in, both for their influence on Philemon, for some accountability there, but also because they have to bring in Onesimus as well. Onesimus is now a believer. He's going to be a member of this church. And if, if, if he walks in one day, and they're like, oh, there's that runaway. I'm not even going to let him see any of my money. Do you know what he did to Philemon? And, and, and if that is the spirit when he walks in, what does that do to body life? What does that do to ministry? It completely shuts it down. And Paul is saying, no. We're going to see next week, bring him in, accept him, welcome him as a brother. question for us this morning is, do we see our private lives as isolated from our church lives? Do we see the issues that I struggle with as my issues, or do we see them as our issues? See, so many times I think we're afraid to get discipled, to get input to, to have others come alongside and help us because they might think less of us. Hey, I'm struggling with, with my attitude towards so-and-so. Oh, no way. How could you? No. It, the church, though, should be coming alongside and helping each other. And so Paul starts by writing to Philemon, his family, but also to the whole church in the house. Everyone that's going to be part of it. And he's commending them for an attitude of ministry. See, there's some things of, of how, you might think, well, how does that apply to forgiveness? When we keep ministry going, when we keep an attitude of ministry, where is our focus? How can we serve God? How can we glorify God? But when we have issues between us, it's a threat to that because we, we, we're like, no, I can't even stand those people. I'm not going to go there. And, and ministry stops. And, and our attitudes now, when we're not ministering, when we're not focusing outside of ourselves, our attitudes are now about ourselves. And when our attitudes are about ourselves, forgiveness is nearly impossible. Nearly impossible. Because we're not seeing what God has done for us. And we're not responding to that. Last night, Alicia and I were praying nighttime prayers, and we had gone to Second Harvest yesterday morning. And which, moms and dads, if, if you are looking for a way to instruct your children in the way of the Lord and to think beyond themselves and to serve others, things like Second Harvest are essential. It is amazing what that can do. And, and even to my four-year-old. And we're praying and and. I prayed, and then she's praying, and she says, Jesus, thank you that we got to go to Second Harvest. Thank you that we got to serve people. And tears start coming at that point. Because it's like, you know, I wish that moment could carry over into every moment of the day. But she got it for a moment. A heart of ministry changes our attitude towards everyone around us. 
keeps our priorities right. Let's read on, verses 3 through 6. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. And in those verses, we again see things that Paul is is commending Philemon for, but we see a lived faith. Point number two there is he's commending a lived faith. One that affects his life. And we need to view forgiveness as an opportunity to understand faith in Christ in a new way. View forgiveness as an opportunity to understand faith in Christ in a new way. Faith is only helpful when it affects life, when it's effective, when it's lived. If it's not lived, it's actually not faith, it's just knowledge. And we see a number of of aspects where Paul is specifically bringing this out to Philemon because it's going to help him forgive and restore and reconcile. The first in in verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a little bit of a standard greeting, but it was a greeting Paul only used to fellow believers. He would never say this to someone that wasn't a believer. Grace to you and peace from, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus. And so one of the things we understand out of this is that Philemon is a fellow believer in Christ. And Paul is highlighting those things that are essential to our forgiveness. If we don't experience God's grace to us, there is no way we can share that with others. Out of His grace for us, we have a peace that enables us to forgive and reconcile. From God our Father, and I think he uses the word our intentionally there to again bring people together and say we're in this together. In the Lord Jesus Christ. But then Paul goes on to expand on this. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers. Verse 5, two things, and this will be this point in the next one. Because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Now if you look at that verse, you might say, well, okay, is it the love for the saints? Is it the love for God? The faith for the Lord Jesus? Faith for all the saints? The, the best way to think about it is, is like an envelope where the first and last phrase in verse 5 go together. I praise God, I, I thank God in my prayers because I hear of your love for all the saints. And then the middle two phrases go together. It's a chiasm in the Greek where, where Paul is using a, a typical literary device to, to bring both of these concepts as related. And so the inner two phrases there, and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus. And so Paul commends him for his trust in God, for his walk with God. Philemon's character is that he loved God with all his heart. He had faith in him. And verse 6 is an interesting verse that you may read a few times and say, okay, what is he really saying here? But this is, this is essential to understanding a lived faith. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. And we read this, and this is where some of the way we use words actually can obscure what Paul is saying here. When we think of sharing of the faith, what do we think of? 
Four spiritual laws. Evangelism, right? Witnessing. The word that Paul is using here for sharing is koinonia. Do you remember when we studied koinonia? It's a, a fellowship, a sharing with each other. Now, now, surely when we share with each other the faith, that does impact the world around us. But Paul isn't talking about outreach here. He's talking about a communion of a lived faith within the body. And he's saying when we actually live out what we say with, within the body, then the next thing comes into play. Then it makes our knowledge of every good thing effective. It helps us experientially know what God has done in our lives when we obey and, have, and share our faith and what it means to walk with God together. Now Philemon doesn't know where he's going with it. But that's a direct setup by Paul to say, and you want to know how you're going to share your faith with each other and and participate together by forgiving and accepting Onesimus. But the idea that Paul is saying here is it's one thing to know something and it's a different thing to know something. Does that make sense? If you're on the operating table about to go in for open heart surgery, and right in those minutes, right before you go under, you hear the doctor come in and say, I am so excited to do this. I have read all about open heart surgery. Never seen one, but I'm excited because I get to finally do one. I'd be pulling IVs out saying, wait, 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 wait. I'm looking for an experiential knowledge, not just a head knowledge. And that's what Paul is saying is as we put into practice our faith, as we live rightly toward each other, forgive each other even when it's hard, reconcile even when the world says, stand up for your rights, then we experience the goodness of God. The depth of His forgiveness. And we see Him in a whole new way. In a whole new way. It's one thing to read about something, it's another thing to experience it. This week, several of you posted pictures of the sunset on Facebook. Sunsets. Weren't they beautiful this week? Is there a difference between seeing the picture on Facebook and walking outside and seeing it? Complete difference. And Paul is saying, I've said to forgive one another, love one another, bear with one another, but when you do it, you'll understand me in a whole new way. That's what verse 6 is saying. And the end of verse 6, all of this for the sake of Christ. All of this for the sake of Christ. And so the second thing that Paul highlights for Philemon is a lived faith. View forgiveness as an opportunity to understand faith in Christ in a new way. When someone offends us, instead of, I can't believe they did that, think, I get to understand God in a whole new way. And we don't think that way. We're like, I'm still on the, I I hate them. Um, But it's a whole new way of seeing God work. Third thing that Paul commends Philemon for, and that is one of the foundations to being able to forgive each other, is active love. Active love. Practice love for the saints whether you feel like it or not. Practice love for the saints whether you feel like it or not. Verse 5 again, Because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus Christ and for all the saints... So he's heard of their love for the saints. And then jump to verse 7. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. And Paul is highlighting 
a, a strength of Philemon. He cares for people. He refreshes them. He loves them. And saying that strength is what's going to help you forgive. That strength is what's going to help the situation with Onesimus. This slave who stole your money, who betrayed you, who ran away and left you in the lurch. Remember your act of love for the saints. He's now one of them. He's now a brother in Christ. And it's a, it's a decision. It's a, it's, a, it's a love whether we feel like it or not. Agape is used here. It's a choice to say, I will act in a loving way no matter how I feel. A couple of fun words in verse 7. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. The hearts, the word used here is for the bowels, which is what they referred to as the deep seat of their emotions. And he's saying, Philemon, you have been a man that has encouraged people in their darkest hour. When, when everything is crashing around them, when they are near despair, you have come in and you have refreshed them. Sometimes this phrase is used of, of an army after a long march that is at their end and can't go any further and the rest that they get. The break that they get. And so we see a wonderful aspect of who Philemon was and Paul is saying you need to not forget that with Onesimus who just walked in your door. It's not just for other saints, it's for him too. It's for all. Can you refresh him? Paul, we're going to see later in Philemon, says, can you refresh me by doing what is right? This is how you're to treat Onesimus. And so Paul points out three things from Philemon that are foundations to us being able to forgive, for us being able to set aside grievances with each other. Three things that are essential. And the first is that of ministry keeping a heart that's focused on serving God. The second is a lived faith. And the third is an act of love. But I want to just think through again what we've read, and we, we don't have to go back and explain the verses, but also think about what example Paul is setting for how he's dealing with Philemon. On the back page of your notes, I mentioned this. What can we learn about discipleship? What can we learn about influencing others and helping others and dealing with others? And the first thing that we saw in verses 1 through 3 that we already talked through is that Paul cared for those he discipled. Care for those you disciple as partners in Christ and express it. See, we like the first part of that. I don't think we're always very good at the expressing it part. What does Paul call Philemon? Not just a fellow worker. What's the word he uses right before that? beloved fellow worker. He is saying, I care about you. I care about you deeply. And in, in, in saying he's a prisoner for Christ, he's lowering his own estate, he's not lording it over Philemon that he's apostle, an apostle, he's coming alongside as a fellow worker, as a partner in care. And so many times when we see a situation where somebody needs to do something and we know what they need to do, we, we come at it in a, from a standpoint of, I'm going to tell you what you need to do. And Paul says, I'm a prisoner for Christ. 
I understand what it means to be wrong. You're a fellow worker, a beloved fellow worker. I care about you. Do you see a difference in tone? Onesimus is probably saying, come on, Paul. Don't take too long on the greeting. He might kill me in that time. No. Let's get to the point. And Paul, for Paul, this was the point of stressing that relationship. He's a beloved fellow worker. God is our Father together because we are brothers in Christ. The story is told of, of a speaker, Ben, tells the story of when he was a counselor at Forest Home. And he was a young man, young youth pastor, and counseling some other people, some high school leaders under him, and really loved to play practical jokes on people. And um, occasionally, the thing with practical jokes is they can easily cross a line and become very impractical and damaging to, to ministry. And that happened. He had switched some gum of somebody, some regular gum with some laxative gum, and their, their ministry was affected for a number of days, and there was sickness and all this. And the director called Ben in and had a choice. How do I deal with this? How do I deal with this? And Ben sat down, and they called him Benny. And the director looked at him and said, Benny. Benny. That's it. And he said it in an endearing way, a way that says, I care about you. But what's going on? And Ben said his defenses melted. He had all these, he was coming in saying, we should be able to play practical jokes. It's all in fun. And, you know, all these defenses. And when the director started just by an expression of care, it just melted. And instruction was able to happen. And reconciliation was able to happen. That's how Paul starts. Verse 4, another clue that you see there, and and Andrew talked about this um, two weeks ago. Pray for those you disciple regularly. Paul says in verse 4, I thank my God always when I remember you or petition for you in my prayers. Think of all the times Paul says that. To about just about every church, right? And his prayer list must have been great. And every day or regularly, he committed those churches under his care to prayer. If you're going to disciple anyone at Village or anyone anywhere else, we must be people of prayer. We, we, we have to care for them as partners and express it, but we should pray for them regularly. And finally, verses 4 through 7 that we just studied. Do you notice where Paul starts? He starts his discussion with appreciation, with a commendation. So point number three there is learn the art of appreciation and start there. As you take on a discipling relationship or as you're coming alongside someone to help them in a difficult situation, can you start by commending them? By saying, this is what I see God doing in your life. It's where Paul starts over and over and over again. And he thanks God for their love for the the saints, for their faith in Christ. And he commends them. Philemon was a godly man. This isn't a reprimand. This is a brother in Christ coming alongside and discipling. Putting a balm on a wound. Showing respect and appreciation. 
again, we come to, to discipling relationships so many times as, I am the master, you are the student, learn from me. And the power of starting instead at what God is doing in their lives and appreciation changes that whole dynamic. And it makes us effective. And so Paul's example here is, is just so different from, from what so many people do as he's willing to care for someone as an equal, as a partner, as he's willing to pray for them, as he starts by making sure he appreciates them and commends them. Next week we get into the heart of the epistle, the details. Paul has set the foundation in the introduction, and now he's going to get into the details of, okay, Onesimus is here. This is how I want you to treat him. This is what I'm willing to do. But it all hinges on these foundational principles. I challenge you this week, even right now on your notes, to write down some sort of note. You don't have to write down names. You don't have to write down incidents. But if there are are people that you have a little black book on, that you're holding grudges against, that you're collecting those things, to write down something that will remind you of that situation on those notes and to begin this week to pray for that situation. To see your faith in Christ and ask how can that affect the situation. The gospel, the work of Christ can cover any situation or offense we experience. There is nothing that is not reconcilable in the body of Christ. Because to say that we can't reconcile something is to say the cross is not enough. In village, the cross is enough. The cross is more than enough. And so we have a foundation, but now are we willing to start being practical and say the cross is enough for this situation? The cross is enough to heal this hurt. In the body of Christ... Reconciliation is a beautiful, incredible thing that comes when we understand what Christ has done for us. If you don't know Christ this morning, that's the place to start because you can't forgive until you've been forgiven. And if you do know Christ, then it's time to start grasping the power of the cross and the gospel and to claim it on our situations, our practical situation, to let the gospel meddle with your life. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, our Father, I don't know what situations there might be in this room, but I know in my home there's stuff that happens every day. And I can only imagine in a family of 200 what happens. So I pray that we would follow the example of Philemon and Paul and begin to deal with these things and put them behind us and to let your gospel and and your cross and your love cover them. I pray that if there are things we are holding that are keeping us from unity, that you would expose those this week and help us start to deal with them. Lord, help us have hearts that come together and show that we are your family. Thank you for our time together. In Jesus' name, amen.